0: Welcome to Office Hours, a social science podcast produced by the Society Pages at the University of Minnesota. Join us for conversations with prominent scholars, writers, and researchers as we discuss their ideas. Across the country, sightings of people dressed as creepy clowns standing in forests on roads and doorways has exploded and captured part of the national imagination. A lot of people were unsure what to make of this odd development. Some call it a clown invasion, some call it a clown uprising, and some call it the Great Clown Scare. Yet most people agree that it is indeed creepy. In this episode, guest host Ryan Larson talks to University of Delaware professor Joel Best, author of Dandelizing Statistics and Social Problems. This conversation focuses on the context of the recent clown sightings around the nation and how they connect to other popular mythologies.
1: Welcome back to Office Hours. We're here talking today with Professor Joel Best about the recent creepy clown craze. Uh, Dr. Best, there's been recent media reports of creepy clowns have been scaring people in public, and a high school coach here in Minnesota uh, was uh, fired for wearing a creepy clown costume to uh, a, a sports practice. How do you think about this creepy clown craze, and does it meet the definition of a social problem as you would define it?
2: Uh well, not really. Uh, I think that that uh, the the first thing to know about this is that uh, although this seems terribly new, uh, this is actually a story that comes back uh, every once in a while. Folklorists you often call this the phantom clown uh, story, and uh, the idea is that there are clowns that never do anything, but somehow seem menacing that people report having seen. Now, there's actually, believe it or not, a literature on this. And here is a book that was published earlier this year uh, by uh, Benjamin Radford, uh, who's uh, uh, a kind of uh, amateur folklorist and the title of the book is Bad Clowns. It's from University of New Mexico Press. So presumably his sales have skyrocketed thanks to (laughs) the the current wave of attention. But uh, in it, uh, he uh, talks about uh, these periodic sightings. And uh, there was a, a set of these in New England in 1981 Uh, There have been sightings in places like Scotland and Honduras. Uh, They uh, come back periodically in the United States. Uh, The last uh, wave that he talks about was from 2008. And so what you see is that this is uh, uh, kind of a recurring story. And uh, uh, it, uh, you know, it comes along. It captures people's attention for a short period of time, and then it goes away. Uh, And what that really does is that puts it in the category of a contemporary legend or what some people call an urban legend. And the idea here is that you have a story that is told as true and uh, that usually involves some sort of threat or menace from modern life. uh, And uh, this story gets repeated for a time, and then it, it fades away. Uh, you know, if you think about it, what you need is you need a story that is good enough so that people will remember it and want to tell it to somebody else so that it, it, it lives on. Um, and, but it, it has a relatively short lifespan. What you tend to see if you graph these things is there's a kind of a very sharp spike where you go from no reports of creepy clowns to a whole lot of reports of creepy clowns, and then very quickly to no reports of creepy clowns again, because uh, you know at some point when you say to somebody, "Have you heard about the creepy clowns?" and they say yes, then you know the the legend has sort of run its course for a time, and you can see this story in lot you know in, in lots and lots of. Uh, uh, cases, the same dynamics occur, uh, the same thing happens with, with uh, joke cycles and so on and so forth. So that, uh, a, there'll be a warning that drug dealers are, uh, peddling, uh, drugs to preschool students in the form of lick on tattoos. And this will come into a town and it will spread and everybody gets very excited about it. And then it'll go away and it may take 10, 15 years before the story comes back again. And that's what you really have here. So this is this is not new. Uh, it's uh, actually a folk uh, tale. It's not a very good folk tale because it doesn't have much of a plot or much of a narrative, but it's, it's a, uh, uh, a legend that has been around before and undoubtedly will come back again. Now, what's making it different this year is that we have the fabulousness of social media so the social media allows uh, contemporary legends to spread in a whole new way Uh, uh, you know you can uh, you know attach pictures you can uh, uh, do all kinds of terrific things and uh, you know you can reach lots and lots of people very quickly and so I think this this uh, uh, story this year has really benefited from that
1: what is it about the clown craze that makes these claims so, uh, uh, legitimate to people? You know, is it the, you know, for example, the piggybacking off of, you know, narratives around threats to child, child safety, et cetera?
2: Well, sure. It, it, it taps into, uh, you know, I think it taps into a, a couple of things. One thing that, you know, I have a little trouble relating to, but I've been reading a lot about creepy clowns in the last month or so, uh. Uh, you know, some people really don't like clowns. Uh, you know, I I'm sort of indifferent to clowns. I don't really, you know, they don't particularly bother me. I'm not particularly fond of them. But it's remarkable how many people all uh, have say to me, you know, I just hate clowns. I've always hated clowns. I I, I I haven't liked clowns even since I was a little child. And so, the the clown is. Is uh, sort of a symbol that makes some people uncomfortable, and it's also a story that has, uh, you know, it 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 taps into uh, lots of popular culture. You have, uh, uh, you know, m- uh, movies with sinister clown figures. Uh, you have books with sinister clown figures, and so on. So, and of course that. T- I think ties into the idea that on the one hand uh, the clown is supposed to be, at least uh, in theory, this figure of joy and so on. But at the same time, uh, you know, the clown is masked, you can't really know what's going on behind the, uh, uh, the masked figures, uh, uh, you, know, uh, hit, you know, what what's really the person is really thinking about. And of course, then it taps into all these larger fears that you're you're quite correct when you say, you know, we worry a lot about kids. And so uh, we are, uh, and partly we worry about kids because we think that kids are young and vulnerable and innocent and they need to be protected. And partly we worry about kids, I think, because that's a way of talking about the future. Um, You know, we are continually bombarded in modern life with apocalyptic stories about how the world could end. You know, and there are just a bunch of them. There's nuclear war, there's nuclear winter, there's uh, econ- uh, economic collapse, there's ecological catastrophe, there's global pandemic, you know, uh, there are asteroid strikes and robot uprisings. I mean, you know, there, there are all these visions of what could go wrong. and you really can't do anything about any of this. Uh, you know, uh, deciding that you're gonna take a cloth bag to the grocery store is not going to appreciably affect your climate change. You know, you're, you're, you're pretty powerless. But when we talk about children, we often say that children are, you know, the, uh, the future. They're our most valuable resource. Uh, people, you know, the children are the walking, talking future, and if you have some in your house, why you know they're 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 a very real link to the future, and so you you can worry about protecting kids, and so you worry about stranger danger, and you worried about poisoned Halloween treats, and you worry about you know kidnappers, and and you know why not worry about creepy clowns. Uh, you know, it all makes about the same amount of, you know, it's, it's, it's all things. And, and, you know, to be sure there are some real dangers for children, but most of these things are become inflated in our minds. We're, we're thinking that it's a much more serious problem than it is.
1: You often joke about around the Halloween season, getting asked about poisoned Halloween candy. And oh, I'm yeah. sure you bring that up. Uh, I see some close parallels here and in, in your work, you talk about it, poisoned Halloween candy also as a myth. But that myth also has staying power, right? It comes up every Halloween. You get asked about every Halloween. What is it about Halloween candy that gives it that staying power? And what could it be about clowns that, you know, it's an old story. It's this old Mm -hmm. myth. What makes it have that staying power?
2: Well, I think that that Halloween, of course, is a uh, the Halloween sadist, the idea that there's a maniac who's poisoning children's Halloween treats. That's uh, a great story uh, because it's seasonal. And I have a kind of... Seasonal job uh, in late October, I wind up fielding calls from uh, reporters, uh, sometimes from uh, beyond the United States, certainly from Canada, and sometimes from Europe and and so on, and mostly from the United States. And you know, people, I've been giving essentially the same interview since 1984. Uh, so this is uh, this is a story that uh, people want to talk about, and I've done research on this, and I. I update my research every year. I can't find any evidence that any child has ever been killed or seriously hurt by a contaminated treat picked up in the course of trick-or-treating. But you know, yet everybody knows that this is true. And so the way to think about this is this is also a contemporary legend, and it, it, it brings together a couple of themes. It, it brings together the, uh, uh, the, uh, uh, the theme of child endangerment, of course. Uh, it also uh, features motifs that uh, uh, oftentimes occur in other contemporary legends. There are a lot of, uh, of these stories about contaminated food. Uh, the mouse in the Coca-Cola bottle and, you know, it, it goes on and on. Um, and there are also a lot of uh, uh, stories about maniacs with sharp objects. And in a society where the largest proportion of homicides come from gunshots, Uh, we almost never talk about uh, guns in contemporary legends. Uh, What you have in contemporary legends are razor blades and apples and and, uh, uh, people with straight razors and hatchets and and so on and so forth. And so we we sort of package these very memorable elements into a story and it keeps coming back. And I think the same thing happens with clowns. It's uh, uh, less Popular, I mean, it's getting a terrific boost in 2016, but, you know, my, my uh, prediction would be that you're not going to hear it for a, f- for a few years, and then, you know, uh, probably 12, 15 years from now, there may be another, uh, or even longer, there may be another series of clown sightings, and people will say, my goodness, this is unprecedented, and they'll forget that this is actually a story that comes back.
1: You mentioned social media as a a structure that can help facilitate this type of claims um, mm-hmm. from people with pictures, etc. What other social structures uh, facilitate, you know, social problems, claims making, or the perpetuance of myths?
2: Well, let me say something about social media. You know, one of the things that I've noticed is that. Uh, uh, the reports of Halloween sadism have really changed. And, uh, you know, particularly in the last couple of years, what you're starting to get are people who will, uh, you know, these are these are all hoaxes, or, you know, you know I, I don't want to say that it's never happened, but, you know, it certainly doesn't happen very much. Uh, people will uh, take a pick, get a candy bar, you know, drive a nail through it, you know, and then take a picture of it and say, this, this was in, you know, my uh, trick or treat uh, uh, sack or or whatever. And, and, you know, you now have visual proof that goes out uh, Mm -hmm. on the web. And there's been a lot of that in the last couple of years. It used to be that that uh, before social media, what you'd get are reports that somebody said that they found, you know, a treat that had been contaminated in some way. Now it's relatively easy to make your own, and so, uh, and 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 of course, the, it turns out that the police really hate these things because. Uh, you know they, they spend time on them they spend time on clown reports too you know they're you know checking to see if there's anything to it and they're a little irritated uh, when they discover that uh, there isn't anything to it that this is just a story that someone thought it would be fun to, to pass along or we were just joking or or whatever so I think that that's uh, really important I think that that uh, you know other, social structures that support uh, uh, contemporary legends. Uh, You know, I think the Internet has been a tremendous boon to contemporary legends. Uh, You know, when folklorists were originally uh, writing about contemporary legends, they thought of it as something that was passed along through oral tradition. I'd tell you a story and then you'd repeat it to somebody else. you know, what we now have, of course, are email chains so that you get a uh, a story that's written out. And social media has just made it possible to take those uh, uh, those same stories and uh, send them ever more efficiently to ever larger uh, numbers of people so that they can spread very, very easily. Uh, but the Internet is also a home for all sorts of uh, you know, it, it, you know, it's a very democratic uh, institution. There are lots and lots. You know, anybody with any point of view uh, can uh, uh, get online and and talk about it. So it's very easy for claims of all sorts to spread there.
1: When an urban myth is brought back into the forefront, oftentimes stigmas are brought back into the, in the forefront as well in terms of, uh, you know, the clown uh, association decrease in, in clown jobs. How do these, right? You know, how do these myths uh, create and bring back stigmas, et cetera?
2: Well, I, yeah, I think that there, there's there's probably something to that. You know, you you uh, you know certainly this has been. There are all these stories that uh, clown costumes are, are uh, forbidden at uh, at schools and uh, uh, Target and other merchandisers have taken uh, 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 clown costumes off their shelves and and. Uh, uh, people complain about them. I don't know that this is something that we think of as, as really affecting this stuff that much. I mean, uh, Gary Fine, who, who uh, used to teach at the University of Minnesota, uh, wrote an article when he was there called The Goliath Effect. And he made the point that uh, you know contemporary legends are often about the largest firm, Okay. In a, in a marketplace. So if you have a story about contaminated hamburgers, it's going to be about McDonald's. If you're going to have a story about contaminated, uh, uh, soft drinks, it's going to be about Coca-Cola. It's never about RC Cola or, or, you know, the, the third or fourth most, most, uh, uh, prominent brand in the marketplace. And you see that a lot. Uh, so. But, you know, notice that McDonald's never really goes out of business. You know, nobody nobody really stops going to Kentucky Fried Chicken because they think that there are going to be rats in their chicken uh, or that, uh, you know, the uh, the meat at McDonald's is is really contaminated or whatever. So I don't know how seriously people take this stuff. I think this is fun. It's fun to talk about it. But, you know, it's, you know, I can't imagine that this is, you know, and, and I'm, I'm sure that right now, if you're somebody that, you know, wants to be a clown at a birthday party or something like that, this is probably a slow year for you and you need a different outfit. But, but you know, I doubt that this is really going to uh, drive clowns from the circus or whatever.
1: Well, thank you for doing another podcast with us. This has been great.
0: Oh, it's really a lot of fun. Thanks for This week's episode of Office Hours featuring Joel Best was produced and hosted by me, Matthew aguilar champo is a part of the Society Pages at the University of Minnesota. You can find more written content about the sociology of culture and other kinds of social science research at thesocietypages.org.